solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. Today we're doing chapter 22, Owl Post Again. We have Anna here. Hello! Can you believe we're closing out Prisoner of Azkaban? No! That's crazy. That's so sad. Yeah, that Can we start over? By. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the book, though, I wanted to shout myself out, oddly. Uh, I have recently done uh, a guest spot on the Restricted Section podcast, which uh, came out this week, September 14th. Uh, we did Chapter 3 of Order of the Phoenix, The Advanced Guard, which is a really cool chapter, so check it out. Um, thank you to host Christina for having me on. And again, that's the Restricted Section podcast. It's so, a fun podcast. It's a fun podcast. It was a lot of fun doing it. So thank you to Christina and go check them out. So yeah, we have the final episode or the final chapter of Prisoner of Azkaban. And <laughs> I had, I haven't read this book in a while. So I'm thinking, I will post again. Okay, well, the first owl post wasn't really a whole lot happening there. So this will probably be a quick chapter where we can get through and then get to our book wrap up. No. There was a lot to cover in that owl post, Dan. There was a lot to cover in this chapter. So uh, just going to give a brief rundown of what happened. We got a continuation of that Snape Fudge conversation, uh, a little bit more that we hadn't heard of uh, once they leave the hospital wing, which I loved that Snape Fudge conversation in its entirety. It was just really cool to kind of see them interact. It was very cool to see them interact. And I feel like it was a very small conversation that showed a very large, like, part of who Snape was as a person, but, you know, yes. that might have just been me. Uh, we had a Peeve sighting, which is always fun. Uh, I feel like I have to point that out. I feel like in my head he's more present than he actually is, but uh, we haven't heard from him in a while. I feel like it's extra exciting to point out Peeves anytime because he's so absent from the movies. He's such a wild card, too. Yeah. Which we can talk about in this, in this chapter a little bit. But uh, we get Albus being the smooth dude that he is. Finding out that uh, his little grand plan with the Time Turner uh, worked. Um, he's quite happy with himself. Uh, Snape finds out that Black escaped. Not happy. <laughs> Not Woo-hoo! happy about that. Kind of kind of goes off, off the reservation there a little bit. Uh, so much so that Lupin has to resign. Don't even... I'm gonna get <laughs> angry. Uh, we'll talk about Lupin's resignation. Uh... But he returns the cloak and the map to Harry before the end of this chapter. Uh, Dumbledore and Harry, per tradition at this point, oh, yeah. <laughs> have an end of the book. Oh, yeah. Uh, Is just... it a Harry Potter book without a Harry Dumbledore rundown? Yeah. Uh, they just have a little heart-to-heart, if you will. And they Dumbledore, per usual, drops a ton of knowledge on Harry. And Harry's like, wait, what? <laughs> and uh, side note, Gryffindor wins the House Cup for the third year in a row. Shocker. Yep. Hermione uh, officially dropping two classes, Muggle Studies and Divination, uh, which... Necessary. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think uh, anybody should... Didn't she say she got like 140% on the Muggle Studies? 
Oh, no, 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 no. She got 322 Oh, sorry. 320. I don't even know how that's... 112% was her original charms, final, and sorcerer's Oh, my bad. My bad. Uh, maybe Elizabeth can drop some knowledge on someone, how someone can possibly get 300 something percent. <laughs> yeah, that can entirely be up to her. I'm not going there. <laughs> I don't even... Happy extra credit, right? That poor teacher that probably had to read paragraphs <laughs> upon paragraphs of head that had nothing to do with what the question was. Oh, that probably took her hours. Uh, unless she had a time turner. Anyway, Quidditch World Cup is mentioned. Uh, just the idea of a Quidditch World Cup. We have yes. the real World Cup coming up here in a couple of months in November, I think. That'll be cool. Quidditch, still, we will refer to it as Quidditch uh, for the book purposes here. But as we all know, it's yes, been changed ball. to quad ball officially if you're talking about the real life sport. Anyway, we find out that Sirius actually sent Harry the Firebolt to Hermione's glee. Uh, yeah, I would have rubbed that in a lot more if I were Hermione. Yes. I'm sure between the pages, I'm sure there's a lot of... yeah. That train ride home. Every time anything is questioned from her, remember that time I was right about Sirius giving it a... Yeah. Do you think maybe just like any time Harry has a Quidditch match and has to pull out the fireball? Oh, remember like, that oh, fireball hey, remember that I was right. gave yeah. that to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. Uh, which I have a question about that, which we can get to later. Uh, Sirius came in clutch with the permission to Hogsmeade. Yeah, that was cool. And his, and this is the Owl Post part. He sends a letter to Harry yes. at the end uh, with some cool stuff in it. And then I love the quote that Harry says at the end to Vernon. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so good. Which is, uh, like, who's writing you a letter? Oh, it's my godfather. You don't have a godfather. He's broken out of wizard prison and he's on the run. He likes to keep in touch with me, though. Keep up with my news. Check I'm happy. And grinning broadly at the look of horror on Uncle Vernon's face, Harry set off towards the station exit. Slick move. Slick oh, yeah. move by Don't Harry. Don't you just see him kind of like bursting through like doors and kind of like the hero <laughs> shot with like butterflies and clouds? That That is an image <laughs> yes. that I could see. But yeah, that, so that's essentially the, the chapter in a nutshell, which sounds like not a lot happened, but it did. Uh, we start this chapter as... Harry and Hermione get back to the hospital wing and find the Dumbledore's back to them as he's about to close and lock the hospital wing doors. Right. That conversation, I just, like, Albus just turns around and has this huge smile on his face. Like, I have just won everything. <laughs> and uh, we were talking a little bit about it in our pregame session here, uh, but we had a little bit of a debate between, did Dumbledore kind of pre-plan this because he knew that there was a time turner in play or did he wing it while the events were going on from Hagrid's hut or what was what was your suggestion I think he winged it from the moment Sirius told him everything like my understanding is Sirius told him about like the animagus forms and just like the whole rundown that we got from in the shrieking shack and I think that's when I'll I'll give you maybe he had Buckbeak's rescue pre-planned a little bit. Like, he had some sort of kernel of the thought with the time turner. Oh, we can save Beaky. But I think the whole what we just read the past two chapters, that started from the moment he left Sirius. I like it. I can get behind that. That gives Dumbledore roughly, like, just minutes, essentially, to formulate this whole thing. Given he himself just received groundbreaking news yeah. that would stun anybody. You know that's kind of Gryffindor. When you think about it, I mean, that's essentially what Harry does and, like, everything he's thrust into. He kind of comes up with a plan on the spot. 
Yeah, it, it's a very la the <laughs> This is comparing Dumbledore to Harry, which you really can't do as far as, <laughs> like, well, there's coming a up with plans. Well, there's an age gap. There is. There is. Yeah, Albus, to think that he got this groundbreaking news, which, by the way, proves that he was wrong initially in his assessment of the whole situation. Because oh, yeah. He thought that it was like everybody else thought. Yeah. So for him to realize, like, oh, shoot, I was wrong. Oh, shoot, how often am I actually wrong on something? I should probably <laughs> do something about this. How much do I not this. at Hogwarts do I actually not know going on? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... And then he's, like, impressed. Yeah. And, like, on several different levels. Maybe that's the real reason he wanted to save Sirius, because he was impressed Sirius got so much over him. <laughs> Honestly, that would be a very Jude Law Dumbledore move. Yes. Yes. Of like, you know what? You got me? I owe you one. I'll save you. <laughs> yeah. But no, that'd be a very quick timeline of hearing all of that groundbreaking, shocking news. And instead of being like in a stunned stupor, like probably most of the world would be in. Yeah, Dumbledore he doesn't just, really do stunned stupor. No, yeah. he quickly figures out like, okay, this is what I have to do now. Oh, by the way, there is a time turner in play. How can I use this? Okay. All on the walk from like Flitwick's office to the hospital wing. As I have in my notes, smooth dude. Smooth, smooth dude, that dude, guy. For sure. My question about, like, walks from hospital wings was, like, and Harry asked Hermione, and she just doesn't really give him an answer, but, like, what do you think would have happened if the two of them hadn't made it back before Dumbledore locked that door? Uh, I think the question would be if they got there so late that Dumbledore was not there to receive them. Right. That would potentially be a problem. Right. That Yeah. That would be a real big problem that Dumbledore doesn't know what exactly went down. He can't get them in back into the office. Mm -hmm. So then when Snape and Fudge come in and find them right. outside of the hospital wing. There's no proof that they didn't have something to do with it. Right. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, the whole thing would go up in smoke. Uh, then, and then it'd be like, okay, now does McGonagall get in trouble? Does Dumbledore get in trouble? Because... Do Harry and Hermione get expelled? Uh, yeah. I do mean... Do 13-year-old wizards get thrown into Azkaban? I feel like eating? Dumbledore or McGonagall, Dumbledore specifically, I think would take the fall, uh, so that Harry does not get expelled. And he'd figure out some way of, be like, blame me, I'm the guy at fault here. Yeah. Um... But yeah, that would not go. And they just made it within uh, seconds because, mm -hmm. and I mentioned Peeves at the beginning in my rundown. That is a that wild is card. Time, yep. Because you don't know what he's going to do, where he's going to go. And he had seen them. Oh, it would have been all kinds of problems. So that was kind of the, uh, the, I keep saying, the wild card where you just don't know how it's going to go. You hope that he just scoots on by right. and you can go to your thing. But if he lingers, oh boy, I guess it's not good. Yeah. Uh, which I think was the whole point of having Peeves in that oh, little bit. was just yeah. like, a, here's a potential, yeah. you know. Are they really going to make it? Uh-huh, exactly. Um, yeah, but I loved it. Uh, then you get the Snape. And Fudge finding out mm. that Black escaped. And you just got off of this chapter with Fudge saying nothing but compliments about Snape. Which, how do you feel about... Uh, I think I made a point in the last chapter. <laughs> we had the, the imagery of Sirius floating Snape through the yes. air. Yes. 
Yeah. Hitting him on yeah. like the ceiling it's or my the favorite stairs. vision of Snape presented to me in all seven books. <laughs> Fair enough. Sirius obviously didn't care for Snape's well-being. Snape, though, to his credit, dare I say, <laughs> did not float Sirius and hit him on every branch on the way out. He put him on a stretcher. Yeah. And then was really concerned about whether or not Dumbledore would cause a scene or kick up a fuss about whether or not Sirius's soul was sucked out of him. I mean, Snape was eager at the beginning of this chapter to make sure that the Dementors case took place. <clears throat> not just this chapter. He was eager throughout going all the way back several chapters well, ago. Yeah, like Obviously. But, yeah. like, I just... And then the way he loses it completely... When the chance of Sirius' soul being sucked out of him is taken away from him. I mean, like, to me, this whole, like, five-minute little snippet in Snape's life just shows that unless you are a certain someone, he doesn't really have much regard for human life, in my opinion. I think he doesn't have a great regard for this one individual's particular life. He obviously has held a grudge against Sirius for a very long, 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 long time. Which we've talked about before as mm -hmm. being, however, I mean, he, Sirius almost got him killed. Or, depending on how you want to phrase it, worse being a werewolf? Or mm. whatever. Not a great situation. Mm -hmm. So the animosity between the two is real, and it's legit. Um, and it's obviously still there from both sides. Oh yeah, from both sides. <laughs> so, I know. They really both haven't really let their school uh, boy nature no. go. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Snape is... James Wood. <laughs> Snape is off the reservation mad, uh, which Fudge is like... <laughs> I, I love this quote. Fudge is like, Dumbledore, you might have to watch out for him. Oh my god, you I might have to watch out loved for him. that quote. Like, okay, Fudge. I All read right. that and I was like, oh, Cornelius. Okay. Snape does not get what he wants he immediately goes to it's potter potter i don't care how but potter had something to do with this which obviously not wrong not, <laughs> not, wrong. not wrong not wrong at all but like oh my god snivelous take it down a notch yeah I, I think it's obviously coming out of a vindictive point of view it's not like uh he obviously doesn't know how or why or what happened but Potter has to be involved because of a, you know, he just, he has a thing with Harry. Fine. Well, he also is logical. He's been there the past two years. He was in the Shrieking Shack. He knows Harry. Shouldn't he? This basically tells us one fact then. He doesn't know about the time turner. Yes. Agreed. So, which... I think I've come to the conclusion that the only people who know about the time turner are McGonagall and Dumbledore. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, which I don't know how I feel about that. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I don't remember that part of it. Like, I don't know if I've ever had that thought as I was reading. Again, Elizabeth could probably fill us more in on how a school administration works. <laughs> but I feel like if. I mean, to be fair, that is if a the student... headmaster and the deputy had mistress. Sure. So that is the principal vice principal. Right. I'm sure principals and vice principals don't share everything with every member of their staff. One of them is a teacher though. Yeah. 
So I'd imagine, like, if you have a, for lack of a better term in the real world, it's like a special accommodation for a student. Right, yeah. I feel like all of the teachers would have to be then aware that the student has a special accommodation. You would think. So uh, maybe you not also like. I think somebody as logical as Snape. I know Hermione's not his, in his house, but you really don't think somebody as smart as Snape at some point had the thought, how's this girl getting all her classes? Well, that's the other thing. They have to know her schedule, right? Yeah. You think? And it's not like they're not talking about Hermione right. in like a student lounge. Like, oh, you know teachers sit in that student 100%. lounge complaining about Hermione Granger. Like, you don't think the Muggle Studies teacher goes in there and goes, this girl just got a 300 whatever percent on my test. And Trelawney's like, whatever. Uh, she, <laughs> she bounced out of mine. My and then like, but then wouldn't somebody like Snape or Flitwick just start... Thinking like, wait a minute, she's got that and that and that and that and that and that. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. And no one would say a word. Like, I feel like this is a little fishy. Or when Hermione <laughs> slept through cheering charms. You really think Flitwick didn't right. have a red flag right there? Yeah. Exactly. Or if, or in her explanation for missing cheering charms, something didn't come up. Right. Yeah. Like, it seems a little, little suspect. Yeah. Um. But anyway. Uh, but clearly Snape was not aware of it because I yeah. feel like if he had known that a time turner was in oh, play, this'd be done for. He would absolutely call them out. Dumbledore's whole big plan would have been revealed. Which I do have some more on this in the spoiler section that I want to get to. Okay. Because at some point, Snape, I, he's such a smart guy. He's got to figure this out on some level at some point. It might, it clearly wasn't now. I mean, he's, I was just going to say, probably not in this moment, because he's clearly right. not thinking rationally. Clearly not now. He's a little... But I feel like he might batty. start to figure this out at some point, and we can talk about that in the spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so Snape is obviously disgruntled, and he <clears throat> lets slip. Oh, don't even talk to me about that. Let's slip. My note is inappropriate. Quote, unquote. You have unquote, to give an adult rating for it. Quote, unquote, accidentally... Let's the Slytherins know that Lupin is a werewolf. He's so petty. It's, oh it's a very petty move. It's a very petty move. And Lupin is such a... Oh God, he's so classy. He is, classy is a good word for it. He's such a classy guy about it and just like, whatever, this probably... A, it's probably the right move because after well, last I night, I shouldn't was, be here. Yeah, I think he was going to resign no matter what after. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably the call. And... Dumbledore can hide a lot. I don't think he can hide that once the... And the Minister of Magic knows. It's going to be hard to... Does he? I think... Well, Snape told him, didn't he? In the whole thing? Oh, touche. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, at that point, how do you slide that under the rug? It's a really hard thing to do, even for Dumbledore. So, yeah. It was... The writing was on the wall for Lupin anyway, leaving... Um, for reasons that we can also get into the spoiler section. Right, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> there's, there's that too. But, um... His exit was so anticlimactic, though. Yeah. Just like a handshake with Dumbledore, uh, hitch that grandy low tank underneath my arm and walk on out. Like, it, 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 I don't know, it makes me sad. <laughs> After yeah. such a great year for him, powerful book for him, it's just like... We have the plot point of him giving back the cloak and the map, <laughs> which is always good. Yes. Uh, Harry has both of those now in his possession. What do you do without those two items? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. 
Those are two, like, clutch things. He's like, as now I'm not your professor. I have zero guilty, like, feelings giving this back to you. Anyway, and then we get into this wonderful conversation between Dumbledore and Harry. Hmm. Where they discuss, where Harry, like, again, Harry chooses just the perfect moments to just blurt out every secret he's ever held. All right. <laughs> he chooses this moment of all moments to just be like, hey, Prof, uh, I think he literally had forgotten about it until this moment and was like, oh, hey, this is probably important and you should probably know about this. Right. So they get talking about Trelawney's prediction, which Dumbledore has the line of like, well, that makes her predictions down to two now that have like... (laughs) should give her a pay rise. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh, uh, Trelawney getting paid up in here. (laughs) Harry deserves an A just for giving her the, the little money on the side. Anyway, so that was an interesting conversation. And then they talk about um, a really interesting conversation about Peter Pettigrew. And yes. I really like that conversation, <clears throat> though for more spoilery reasons. Then. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but the part that I like about it is we just talked about Dumbledore being a little bit more advanced than Harry in the whole mm. planning part of this. Uh, and you see it here is Harry's narrow-minded in that, like, why would I even want well, can Pettigrew you blame being... a 13-year-old? I would no. want that connection to no. the person who killed my parents. But either. when you have a person the stature of Dumbledore being like, do not <laughs> overlook this fact. You should be a little bit more being like, oh, wow, Dumbledore's really driving this home. It must be like something I should consider at least. <laughs> but uh, doesn't he throw in the, the line of... Uh, he throws James in his face at some point, doesn't he? He's yeah. Oh my god, I loved it. He said <clears> that as he knew James very well at school and after, and he was confident that James would have also saved Pettigrew's life. So you see how I do it there, folks. That's how it's hosting. <laughs> That's called hosting. It's you know your guest loves James Potter, and you toss up the softball to let them knock it out of the park. Yeah, I like how uh, Dumbledore kind of uses James to kind of get Harry back yeah. <laughs> back to center a little bit. Um, and I also loved the line about, um, even though it confused Harry, because a lot of things Dumbledore says confuses Harry. <laughs> I know, but it's such a good It's line. beautiful. He goes, you did see your father last night. You found him inside yourself, which is it's so, so good. Oh my God, it's so good. It's such a great line. Yeah. And uh, there's been a couple related to James, particularly like when Harry says prongs, and just goes to touch the stag. It's a great moment, and this is a great moment. And uh, well, and the other line Dumbledore has leading up to "You found James inside yourself" is I think a lot of people think of it as Sirius's line because they gave it to Gary Oldman in the book, but they not made it not as good. Dumbledore's quote here is really good. I did want to actually talk to you about that because. Uh, and I was going to save this for the book wrap-up, but we could talk about it now since you mentioned mm. it. I did want to talk book versus movie a little bit. Oh, okay. Because just reading this chapter alone, there were a lot of quotes taken directly from the, the like, word for word from the book and put into the movie. Different people said it. But the, the words were there. Uh, specifically, Lupin and Dumbledore. Um, they gave Lupin, actually, some Dumbledore lines. In that in that conversation, really? yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I couldn't tell you the last time so, I watched the movie. This Lupin really doesn't have a whole lot in this chapter. It's just a relatively mm-hmm. brief yeah. interaction between the yeah. two, and then Lupin bounces out. Mm-hmm. 
in the movie, it's a more extended scene between the two. And he gets some of Dumbledore's lines. And then you just pointed at the one where it's like... Oh yeah, at the, you think the dead we have loved ever truly leave us. You think that, that line. we don't recall them more clearly than ever in times of great trouble. Yep. Father is alive in you, Harry. <laughs> they obviously changed some of the words. But yeah, obviously that was given to, to Sirius and Gary Oldman. But I can't fault the movie... At least I can't fault the producers for making that call because you have Gary Oldman. Well, you also need to fast track the relationship between Harry and like and as a screenwriting thing. Like it yeah. makes total sense yeah. to do that. Yeah. And you're not going to have Gary Oldman to like just have him there for the Shrieking Shack scene and then send him off on Buckbeak. Like what happens? You're going to give him a moment. Yeah. So I get the production of it. The big issue that I think you have with book versus movie is the Shrieking Shack. And then cutting out almost the entirety of Lupin's monologue, which gets yes. a lot of background. Though I also have a major issue with the casting of David Thewlis as Remus Lupin, too. Do you have a casting set? I'm putting you on the spot. Ewan McGregor. Wow, that was quick. Oh my god, I have dreamed of Ewan McGregor as Remus Lupin since they were <clears throat> casting this film, Dan. Like, oh, I wanted it so bad. I'm tossing this around in my head. I mean, obviously, Ewan McGregor in anything, I am a fan of. Because <laughs> you can't not be. Exactly. Um... As Lupin, interesting choice. I'm thinking of him as, so if anyone has watched the Kenobi series, I'm thinking of him as more of the the rundown version mm. of Kenobi mm-hmm. that you see at the beginning yeah. of that. Yeah. And I'm trying to put that into, like, Lupin. Could that work? Maybe. I think Ewan McGregor could probably make it work. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, Thulis is a great actor in his own right. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Nothing against things. David Thulis. Yeah. just... Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, that was a tangent, sorry. I mean, I'm never going to argue Hugh McGregor in anything, but that's a whole other side conversation. But anyway, you know, those were the, some of the the book versus movie things, because I noticed that a lot in this chapter of book versus movie. I'm like, wow, these were word for word right out of the, the book in the movie. It's just different characters having those lines. Yeah, I mean, the Gary Oldman <clears throat> one is recited often enough that it stuck out to me, but I, it's been too long since I watched the movie for anything else to have stuck out to me. At some point, we'll probably add in some episodes of some movie commentaries from us. And <laughs> it'll be, I'm sure this this that one might particularly. That to be a parental <laughs> advisory. <laughs> we, we, could, we could up the parental advisory. <laughs> anyway, um, we get to the, the serious... Uh, letter that he sends mm, Harry. Yes. And we find out that Sirius did indeed send him the firebolt, which Hermione said with Glee. Right. Like, right. I told you. Here's my thing about it, though. Sirius gets into the whole, like, I put the order in your name, but they took the gold from my account. No one that's taking that order. Dude, those goblins don't care about wizarding law. Is it goblins handling the order, though? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. They're they're selling him the fireball. Like mm. you know what I'm saying? Like the, the people that are actually well, giving the fireball. I don't think they're getting the fireball, but I think I if think... it's an order like that, I think the people selling the fireball will give the order to a goblin and nobody but a goblin is gonna know who Vault three seven hundred and eleven belongs to. Only a goblin would know that is the black ball. I agree. If it was just a goblin thing, they don't care. They just want... Yeah. They just care about the literal gold in the transaction. I give you that. Well, and all the fireball people <clears throat> care about is that they get their gold from Gringotts. 
I don't think anybody's asking, no oh, where is this gold coming from? No one's seeing an order form that says Sirius Black wants to because make this transaction. it doesn't say Sirius Black. It says Harry Potter is getting gold from this vault. From hey, Sirius goblins, Black's vault. go get this money from this vault. And I don't know. the goblins know that that's Sirius Black's vault. And goblins are like, yeah, let's go get this gold. <laughs> I feel like someone Who would... cares if some wizards threw this wizard into the prison? I don't know. I feel like someone other than goblins, because I agree with you wholeheartedly on the goblin bit. I feel like someone would look at that order form and just be like, that's weird. <laughs> like, no? Yeah. Uh, All people know. care about is money. Uh, that's that's the world, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Sirius does come in clutch with the permission to Hogsmeade, which makes Harry uh, quite happy in yes. this whole thing. He, uh, and we're sneaking through tunnels. Nope, Sirius coming in clutch, as he seems like he always has been, even though we haven't been told it was him until now. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much the chapter. I just want to have a fun fact about the Marauders map real quick. Okay. Because we have, it's just a fun fact. There's not a whole lot that me or you don't know about the Marauders map. Because most of it's told in this book. But the whole thing about the Marauders map, we've questioned on this podcast, how did it end up in Filch's cabinet in the first place? Oh my god, is that out there? Yeah. (gasps) I don't know this. I'm so excited. Yeah. So it ends up, it was, the Marauders map was taken by Filch in the last year of the Marauders schooling. Okay, that's what I always imagined. Yep. Uh, they had overreached on one of their endeavors. Really? I always kind of imagined they let Filch take it so it would be there for future troublemakers. They overreached and it got confiscated. They overreached in what way? That all it says is quote unquote overreached. Where's this from? This is from the Wizarding World. And yeah, and that's a spoiler that I can't say about the Marauders map. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was taken by Filch in the last year of the Marauders schooling after they had overreached on one of their endeavors. Hmm. So that's how the Marauders map ended up there. Wild. Mm-hmm. After that fun fact on the Marauders map, let's take a pause. Uh, we will take a break, and we'll come back with the spoiler section, and then we might have another break and just do a whole book discussion. So join us for, for the, on the flip we, side. we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about in the spoilers, so we'll be right back. You! You foul loads of them evil little cockroach! All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 22. I'll post again, and I wanted to double back on that Snape Albus conversation about Black escaping. Like, they have to eventually have a conversation, because do you think Snape just shows up one day at Grimmauld Place for the Order of the Phoenix, sees Sirius sitting there, and goes, um, what? Well, okay, I mean, (laughs) Snape's not an idiot. Snape knows Dumbledore is clearly not upset about Black having escaped. Right. So I th- I think it would be a very basic conversation of like, hey, heads up, Black's back in the Order of the Phoenix, and I Just helped him escape, it? so you work through whatever you got to work through and then show up at the meeting. Hey, thanks, bye. I can't imagine that conversation. Like, how does Elvis even approach that? Like, hey. How does Elvis approach anything? Just catch him in passing, he like, tells, in the hallway at Hogwarts. He tells Snape what he thinks Snape needs to know. And then he dips. He's like, Snape tries to get more information out of him all the time. And Dumbledore doesn't give him any more than he wants Snape to have. I don't know. I feel like Snape, as we've talked about, I think he would be owed an explanation. Like, why is that guy sitting at the table? Like, all Snape knows is the original facts of the case, which all point to Sirius being the murderer. 
I just thought that conversation between Snape and Albus would be an interesting one because Snape feels as though Sirius is still a murderer that also caused the death of Lily. And he'd be like, um, wait, why is he there? I've never thought that Snape blames... I've always thought Snape blames himself for Lily's death more than he blames Sirius. Uh, He definitely blames himself, for sure. Um, But Sirius, in his thinking would have been the one to actually give up the secret keeper spot. I wonder if the first time Dumbledore had that conversation with Snape is when Snape had to go back undercover. And that's more the reason that he had to have that conversation with Snape because Snape is then going to have to be around Pettigrew again. And so he needed to know that Pettigrew was actually the one who gave up Lillian James. That's a twisted position to put Snape in. Oh, yeah. That's a really... It's a very Dumbledore <laughs> position to put Snape in. Well, that's 100% truth. <laughs> but that's the whole part of... That's why I asked the question is, Albus is playing a really jacked up game here. And I don't think he even knows to what level it's jacked up. But he just keeps playing with a very fine line of any one of these things can fall horribly apart and ruin everything. And and I don't know. He's just thinking that he's I playing mean, that's chess and everybody else. to a T. Yeah, it is. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll move on from the Snape <laughs> Alvis. Uh, Fudge drops a lot of interesting quotes in this chapter. The I'd watch out for him if I were you, Dumbledore. And I'm that just, just blew my mind. I did not remember that line. I, didn't, I was like, oh my god. Funny. I didn't Not remember funny, that either. But... Yeah, I, I didn't remember that line either. I'm like, wow, Fudge yeah. was really on Drop the... Dropping that foreshadowing right yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And, and I'm sure Dumbledore in this moment is like, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> like, you don't even know. <laughs> but, yeah. And then Fudge goes on to say that, uh, yeah, he'll send the Dementors back to Azkaban because they're, quote, completely out of control. Right. He acknowledges. Never, never did he imagine a Dementor kissing a student, trying to kiss a student. He has this conversation. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm shocked Dumbledore didn't bring this up in the trial with Harry in Order of the Phoenix and just be like, mm-hmm. do you remember saying to me when they were all at Hogwarts and they attacked? Mm-hmm. By the way, who did they attack? Oh, they attacked Harry. Oh, so they have like a history with Harry. Oh, you know, whatever. It's inter- it was just a very interesting line by Fudge, uh, a couple of them. And then um, I think you wanted to talk a little bit more about the connection between Pettigrew and Harry. Oh, I just really enjoyed reading that conversation because there's so many moving parts to how this debt comes back. You know, that Dumbledore is 100% right. You know, this debt saves Harry's life. But then the added part of it that this debt also ends up being the cause of Pettigrew's death. Like, it's just kind of a, an interesting little circle it's to me. It's a that, morbid circle. Yeah. And I, I only feel bad for Pettigrew in the sense of he is such a pawn. Like, he is literally the definition of a pawn yeah. in that he is just being used by bigger, better players to get what they ultimately want. But doesn't he kind of set himself up in that position, the conversation we had of he's always going to keep himself an escape hatch? Uh, he kind of sets himself up to be used as pawn when you do stuff like that. Yes. Uh, he, he, <laughs> the problem is, 
he's playing survivor mode. He's trying to be with the the biggest bully on the on the yard at that given point. But it's like playing with fire because mm-hmm. I mean, if you get too close and you happen to spurn said bully at any point, that wrath can then flip onto you. Which he knows. That's why he's right. playing all angles at all times. Um, but obviously, Voldy's not an idiot either. Right. So he's like, that was a problem. How can I fix said problem? He comes up with a solution, which is brilliant Something on his that part. that was supposed to be this, like, merciful gift and, That's... like, point of pride for Pettigrew. What a truly evil act mm-hmm. by Voldy. Which, we talk about evil in a lot of different ways in this book and you know we'll get to it with umbridge and we'll and we've talked about it with marge in a different you know mm-hmm, thing which mm-hmm. we can get to later but honestly i don't feel like we get too many like wow Voldy is really like evil he, bad yeah murder sure but not like yeah. we don't see that like despicable mustache twirling like evilness <laughs> <laughs> it's just blatant like aggression usually yeah um, but here, his, this was an evil move of like, I act like I'm giving you something good, and in the end, this will kill you. It's a cruel twist. And he, and I'm sure Voldy 100% knows, like, at some point, this will be his death. Like, I'm sure Voldy is fully aware of it. That's why he does it. <laughs> so. And even if he doesn't know for sure something's going to come of it. He would rather hedge his bet. So, like, yeah, there's a chance he's going to feel guilty over what he did to this kid's parents. And I need to plan for that. And not only that, but he knows, hey, this guy's flipped before. Mm, true. He flipped for me. I wonder if he'll flip again. How can I get him if he flips again? How dare he flip again on me? I don't think that was going to be Pettigrew flipping, though. Had his hand not killed him, I don't think Pettigrew was going to all of a sudden be a member of the Order of the Phoenix helping out. It's not even... In Shell Cottage. Like, the thing that gets Pettigrew is not even necessarily the act of saving Harry Potter. It's hesitation. The fact that the thought went through his head, like, I should let him go. That's what killed him. Like, it was the hesitation of killing Harry. But didn't he have to? Like, isn't that the magic of the life debt that's between him and Harry? Yeah. Yeah. Which we've had some conversations on, like, old, deep magic. That's another reason I like that conversation. Because I feel like this is the first time it's not, like, the love magic. It's more just, like, a different type of old magic. It's still a bond. It's a deep bond. It's definitely not love, by any means. So, like, it's an interesting twist to it. You know, like, these bonds that old magic can weave between two people. So... Do you think Voldy knows specifically what happened in the Shrieking Shack? I've wondered that. Do you I think can, Pettigrew I, definitely doesn't tell him? But I think when mm. Pettigrew goes and is the one taking care of Voldemort before he comes back, I think Voldemort could have gotten every single speck out of... I don't think Pettigrew had the power to <clears throat> withstand... The, like, I can't say that L word. Legilimens? Yes, that. That Voldemort would have placed on him to find out everything. I think, well, Snape obviously doesn't tell him because he wasn't aware of Pettigrew even being in the Shrieking Shack. Right. At that moment. So he wouldn't know about it. But Pettigrew might almost say it as a gloating thing. Like, oh, Harry let me 
live and now I'm here. Like he almost yeah. could say it as a gloating thing and Voldy's just sitting there going like, did he know? <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> File that one away for later. Good to know. <laughs> but that, you know, Voldy likes to almost not ignore, but he likes to... Um, he forgets about... Older, old deeper magic. magic. Yeah. yeah. Then uh, that's why he might have known that, or he might have just been like, "Dude, you flip a lot. I'm gonna end that right here, right now. Yeah. And if you flip on me, you you ain't surviving it." Yeah. I mean, it might have just been plain, plain and simple that way. Yeah. Who knows? But anyway, um, yeah, a lot of cool stuff in this chapter actually, which was awesome. But oh, I did want to get to uh, one more Remus Lupin. How much do you know about? Uh, Lupin and Tonks courtship. This was a deep dive that I did recently on Lupin, along courtship with his werewolf stuff. Pre Half Blood Prince or post? I would assume it'd be around the time of Order of the Phoenix when they put that together. Okay. Um, not a ton. I mean, I may or may not have read some fan fiction. <laughs> there are some interesting things on on Lupin that I hadn't gotten to yet, and one of them was. Lupin and Tonks, when they started their missions for the Order, obviously Lupin was quite thrilled every time he was on a a mission with Tonks. But J.K. illustrated a conversation that they had one night out uh, on a mission. And On Wizarding World? Yeah. Okay. And Tonks apparently said, well, they were staking out whatever. uh, Tonks said, wow, it's amazing that he's still handsome after all those years in Azkaban. (laughs) <laughs> right, that, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Lupin did not take that comment well and said uh, with like an eye roll, he always gets the girl. <clears throat> yep. And Tonks responded, uh, you know who I'd fallen for if you weren't so down on yourself. Aww. So yeah, uh, that's kind of the beginnings of their back and forth. But... I also found it interesting. She dropped a couple of other tidbits on Lupin. Apparently, Albus himself showed up at the Lupin household just before Remus turned 11. And he himself recruited. So he didn't send a letter like to Harry. Okay. He himself showed up at the door of the Lupins and was like, hey. I can see that because I think that's going to take a little more persuasion. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, Albus had spies. And knew of Greyback's actions. And that's why he showed up at the door of the Lupins and was like, no, 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 no. He he should come to Hogwarts. I got him. Hmm. So that was an interesting fun fact. And then because you're on um, the podcast and I have to get this name in. Uh... <laughs> what we got? What we got? JK gave a little bit more on the battle that took Lupin's life. Hmm. And obviously Lupin was killed by Dolohoff. And the difference, she said, in the battle was not necessarily skill. It was that Lupin had essentially had months and upon months and upon months of shielding and defensive magic. Whereas Dolohoff, on the other hand, had months and months and months of aggressive killing magic. And that was the difference between their battle. One had spent so many times shielding, the other so many times attacking that Lupin... But he was just too slow attacking? Yeah. Mm. He wasn't as... His dueling skills had diminished in those months. You know what I always imagined happening? That 
while he was in the midst of his duel with Dolohov is when he also realized that Tonks had entered the battle. Like he thought Tonks was safe at home watching Teddy. Mm-hmm. And that that moment of distraction, seeing Tonks was the moment that Dolohov was able to get past his defenses. Could be too. Yeah. But that is, I mean, that's an interesting fact. Yeah. It was just something that caught my eye. A couple of things on Lupin that I hadn't shared before. Birth of Jerkins is still more important than Dolohov. It's a debate that we're going to have. We get to have it the next book. Oh my gosh. I can't believe she pulled out a Birth of Jerkins. Okay. Anyway, uh, we'll take, we'll take a time out here. Uh, we'll take a little time out and then we're going to come back with our uh, highlights of the book, our book discussion, book wrap up, if you will. And we'll also look toward the Goblet of Fire. So hang with us and we'll be right back. You, you foul, loathsome, them evil little cockroach. All right. So we're back and we're going to just have a book slash podcast wrap up of Prisoner of Azkaban because I can't believe we're done. Oh, you're going to make me cry. I know. It's, I think it's safe to say it's one of our favorite books in the series. It, I think it is yours, right? Yes, it is absolutely my favorite book. And there's a lot of reasons for that, uh, which you can get into. But uh, some things that I kind of just wanted to reminisce on, if you will, uh, from this, I, I loved the discussions that we had on Peter Pettigrew. I thought mm-hmm. our, our deep dives on who he is as a character were, were just awesome. And I... That's, I think, my favorite part of doing this podcast is picking out, you know, I know you're going to bring up Bertha Jorkins and you, you can get a whole, <laughs> you can get a whole, po- I will devote a whole podcast to just you breaking down Bertha Jorkins as a character. But I think that's one of our strengths as a podcast is kind of picking out characters that most people just have a surface glance of and a surface view of and have only accepted that surface view as the only view. And there's not. To JK's credit... A lot of these characters have very full, in-depth, convoluted... They're all human. Like, yeah. Everybody's got... I liked discussing his motivations. Yeah. I feel like we really tried to, like, think about why he did what he did. And we've kind of, you know, gone about it throughout multiple chapters um, mm-hmm. and multiple episodes, but I, I love those conversations. I liked our Aunt Marge conversation from all the way back in, like, chapter two. Oh my gosh, I know. That seems so long It does seem like a really long time ago, but... uh, It was a dark one, but it was a good one. She is awful. Yeah. She really is is. awful. And uh, I just... I I like the writing because it's real. It's real writing. Mm -hmm. There are people that exist like that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, But I also hate it because... There are people like that, right. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my god. When you're gosh. going to your book, you consider an escape. You don't want to be reminded of <laughs> right. how awful people can be. Exactly. So, again, for my money, she might be the worst character. I think my phrase was page for page, or chapter by chapter. Something like that. Something like that, like pound for pound for a fighter, but, it, you know, for the amount of words that she actually gets, she might be the worst. Because Umbridge gets a whole book, uh, more than a book. I think she's definitely the cruelest with her words. Yeah. yeah. Like, if she was given an avenue like Umbridge and Voldy, mm-hmm. I, I think she would be right on their level. They'd be a, uh, what would be the opposite of a golden trio? <laughs> like, I don't know. The dark trio. The dark trio? I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting chapter for sure. <clears throat> also, 
We had a new guest member join Yay! the podcast. We had Jen join. It was very fun. Uh, our only Slytherin, or close to Slytherin, however you want to define it, uh, member of our crew. She was on the Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw uh, chapter and the Snape's Grudge chapter. Um, I was happy to talk some Quidditch with her. She's one of my fellow big sports nuts, so that was really fun. We had lots of Quidditch in this book, yeah, all of the Quidditch. So we're happy to have Jen on. She'll hopefully be on quite a lot more during our Goblet of Fire and, and so on. I know her favorite book is Half-Blood Prince, so it'll be interesting to get her views on that. Definitely. Um, especially because it is not our favorite book. Yeah. I'm really <laughs> so, intrigued to hear why it's her favorite book. Same. I'm excited to hear. So, but obviously the the biggest thing I think that came out of this podcast. Oh, good Lord. I know. I know. Is is the great Trelawney debate, and I will take full blame for this because this was my thing that just spiraled into Trill debate after debate to after. Dion Molly is now dead to me. <laughs> yeah. Just because she... she might have come back to life by bringing up Downton Abbey, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that took on a life of its own that not even I had predicted. <laughs> the, the whole Trelawney thing, and believe me, many people have had their input on that. I'm not on the island because, thankfully, Molly at, at least gets where I'm coming from. Obviously, uh, you and I got into a, a massive uh, throwdown so about it halfway good. through. Uh, you even, as you listened to one of the previous chapters to prep for this episode, <laughs> you gave me some flack for a Trelawney thought. Uh, she comes up a lot in five and a lot in seven. So she'll be there. We'll still talk about her. <laughs> Hopefully not in as creative detail as we did in this book, but we got introduced to her, so it's fine. Yeah, uh, th those were some of my highlights from, from this book's podcast. What about you? Anything that jumps out? I mean, just any conversation to have during this book is always a big one for me. I did really enjoy all the different Animagus conversations we had kind of throughout mm. the different yeah. chapters and episodes. Um, Your breakdown on it was great, by the way. I enjoyed reading to be able to do my breakdown. I enjoyed learning about the whole process. But even just, like, the conversations you had with multiple people about, like, what it really means, animal, animagus, communication. Mm -hmm. It was, I really liked all of that, listening and partaking. Yeah, it's definitely a, a conversation I don't hear all that often being had. Yeah. And um, it goes back to, like, the Peter, and Peter was a big part of those. Yes. Uh, but it goes back to some of those of just conversations that I don't hear often. And right. uh, believe me, shoot, uh, you and I are pretty ear to the ground on a lot of Harry Potter conversation. <laughs> what? We do hear it read a lot. But I think we've had some unique conversations here that yeah. you can only All hear. All of the deep dives that we've had throughout this book, I feel like, I mean, like, <clears throat> I yeah. love this book. So the fact that there have been a couple of deep dives where I learned things that I didn't already know concerning things in this book, impressive. I love when guests come on and give deep dives. It's awesome, always. But, like, having you and Molly and Elizabeth and, and Jen and, and Julie all come on and give deep dives, I'm like, I kind of want to have deep dives. <laughs> so I had to, you like... You can be as cool as us. It's okay. <laughs> I had to start getting some deep dives in here. Um, and I've got more, I've got a couple more in the, in the tank for future. You know what's the next deep dive I'm going to do? Hmm. James Potter. Shocking. Because <laughs> I'm not going to get to talk about him as much until probably book five. That's true. I'm and then it's not going to be very nice. 
And I really have to come to his defense. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned James more. Honestly, even in this book, you'd think he'd be mentioned more. And, Agreed. And he's really not. I want more mentions from Remus and Sirius in this book about James. I feel like the best parts of James we get in this book, we actually get from Dumbledore. Yeah. Like, I know we already talked about it in this chapter, but like... Or from Harry, oddly. Like, with the whole prongs thing and the whole... True. Yeah. True. I think this is the most we get from Harry concerning James. I feel like from this point on, it's very Harry Lily heavy, which has always made me feel some or type it's, of way. It gets Harry serious heavy for two True, books. which is fair. Which is, I'm, I'm kind of excited because it's been a very long time since I read Goblet of Fire. Or not Goblet of Fire, uh, Order of the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Very long time. And with all of the accusations thrown around that Sirius gets confused about who Harry really is, I'm excited to see, because we've been reading the book so differently, if more James mentions jump out at me in Order of the Phoenix than I'm anticipating. That's who I would expect to throw out a lot of James references, is Sirius, because of that right. fact. I think he does physically see a lot of James and Harry, obviously, like everybody else does. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he kind of mentions it even in this book, like, seeing him play Quidditch yeah. and, and seeing, like, him flying a hippogriff to, to save him is like, yeah, that's definitely something James would do. Like, this yeah. is a very James moment. Yeah. So I, I would be surprised if Sirius doesn't, like, start... But the most important one is when Dumbledore points out that James would have also mm -hmm. saved Pettigrew. Yeah, for sure. All you James haters, remember that. <laughs> I don't think it's any... I don't think anybody can really be a James hater, per se. Um, Snape's first memory. There are a lot of James haters out there. I think it's more like, it, uh, not, maybe not the character, but like how, I think the fact that you get specifically is how can you be so <laughs> pro-James? I think that's where it really is. What can I say? I'm special. But anyway, that we've come up with a lot of weird ships during this book, that too. That we have. I, I liked uh, Mrs. I liked, Shanks. I liked that one, but my new favorite is definitely Ears and Molly's for Snape Trelawney. What a fantastic <laughs> couple. Oh my god. Totally shipping with you guys, 100%. That, can you imagine them like showing up at the Yule Ball next? Oh my god, it'd be amazing. What would that even look like? she definitely have her insect sparkly dress on. And him just all, obviously, all black. Yeah. Yep. And just, like, the idea of, like, you know, the totally emo guy who wants to stand in the corner and hate everybody. And Trelawney with, like, her, like, scented perfumes and scarves. And just be like, ah. Like, oh my god, what a great couple. I just loved our Madame Puttyfoot's, like, pull. And we're, like, going to that oh, tea exactly. shop for... Because yes. that's right up her lane. Yes. She would totally go to a tea Definitely. shop for she Valentine's Day. Madame Puttyfoot's for sure. And I could, uh, that's, that would be a fanfic that I would love to read. would be Harry sitting there absolutely hating it and trying to figure out how to drink his tea without the confetti getting down his throat. Like, yeah. It'd be great. He's like, how can I put some fire whiskey in this real quick? Like, how can I spice this up a little bit? Oh, yeah, that was, that, the ships have been good. I didn't even put that on my notes, but yeah, that was, that was. That's been good, yeah. That has been a fun one. Yeah. It's been a good kind of collection of different conversations that we've had. Dean and Seamus's fan. Uh, oh, yeah. Friend tattoo. Yes. Is oh, I definitely posted like... it to the Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, Dean proposing to Seamus. Yes. Is the best. It is wonderful. 
<laughs> yeah. God bless the fans who came up with that picture. So I mentioned the Yule Ball. Well, we're going to Goblet of Fire and the Yule we Ball. We are, and I am excited. Uh, I loved this book when I first read it. Oh, who didn't? And I, it just, everything that I could possibly love about Harry Potter, I think, is in this book. Uh, just, obviously, the, the Triwizard Tournament. Mm -hmm. and Lots of adventure, getting a little more mature. Yeah, the, the Quidditch World Cup, which we yes. talked about. Uh, they hint here in this last chapter, I'll post again, that the Quidditch World Cup is coming and Ron might score to tickets. We talk about Cedric a lot. Yes, I get to defend Cedric for a whole 700-page book <laughs> against all of this Gryffindor hate towards him, which I don't even... There is no hate. I don't have any hate towards Cedric. I don't know. You and Julie were very he negative very towards sparky. Cedric. Even though he he almost was a Gryffindor. He was skirting the line between Hufflepuff and Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Oh, you would claim him proudly if he was a Gryffindor. Oh, come on. Adam claims Barkley, people. That's a whole different franchise. <laughs> Doesn't matter. God, I don't hate Cedric. I will quote that. We have it on recording. <laughs> Anna Remember. says, I don't hate Cedric. When the first words out of her mouth will be an anti-Cedric thing <laughs> when we talk about him. But whatever. That's fine. It's all good. Uh, I'm excited for Goblet of Fire. I love the book. It will be a long book. This, yeah. this is the first like Titanic level size book that we have. Uh, and there's two in a row too. Five is yeah. even longer. Oh yeah. So <laughs> buckle in because we got a lot more <laughs> discussions to have. But I can't wait. Goblet of Fire is... It's going to be it's album. It's so Play good. Uh, I think I was looking at it, and there is a bunch of chapters before we even... Oh, no, four and five, I think there's a good amount of chapters before we even get to Hogwarts, right? Oh, yeah. Four particular... Yeah. Yeah. It's a long time before we get to Hogwarts. Right. So, and usually I'm not a huge fan of that. Like, these early chapters when he's at the Dursleys and being all like... Well, yeah, but this is different. Th like right. Like you said, this it's is different. Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. So, and, and I think book four starts out very uniquely. With Frank, mm, very so unique chapter uh, to start out on. So, um, and we have some really cool stuff coming out. Uh, we're upgrading our logo, and we, we might even have T-shirts and all kinds Woo! of stuff going on. So, yeah, we're growing quite well. So, thank you to all that uh, are listening weekly. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we are hoping you're interacting with us on our Instagram and our Twitter. It's, Tell us if there's something new you want to want us to do besides all that. Yeah. Interact with us. Let us know what you're thinking on all of these conversations, on the Pettigrew and the Trelawney debates and all of that. Let us know what you guys think. As long as you're not on Dan's side. Uh, and she would say that. That is essentially what our friendship is in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Come at me on the Trelawney takes. It's all good. Um, but yeah, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, do you have anything else from, no. from Prisoner of Azkaban? No. No last minute James mentions? I love you. James. Nope, we're just going to end it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to end it on the Anna I love you mention. <laughs> so for Anna, I'm Dan. Bye. Thanks for listening to this super long episode, and we'll be back with Goblet of Fire. Woo-woo. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.